Hi, welcome to Inclusion at Work, where we show the abilities and value of people with disabilities. I'm Larry Rothstein. Today's guest is Caroline Croft Este, co-founder and chief potential officer of Vertical Harvest, the first urban hydroponic vertical greenhouse business in North America. Caroline is an expert in behavioral health and workforce engagement. She is, quote, grower of people, unquote, and in creating opportunities and employment. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you, Larry. It's great to be here. So uh, let's tell our listeners a little bit about this incredibly exciting business that you're involved in, what it does, and then we'll go backwards and find out how you got involved and your background. Great. Um, Yes, so Vertical Harvest is um, an indoor farm. Um, It's CEA, which is Controlled Environment Agriculture. It's the fastest growing industry in agriculture is indoor farming. And so we are a business that grows hydroponically and vertically. Um, We have a a range of crops from tomatoes to lettuces to specialty greens and microgreens. And we serve local communities through um, restaurants, grocery stores, various omni-channels, schools, uh, education, our medical centers. And then in addition to that business side, we also have an inclusive employment model um, where we actively and intentionally have an inclusive workforce. So we um, hire people that identify as having a disability um, with a goal of a 40-60 ratio of representation. And so how did how did you come to create a business along these lines? I mean, what Larry, the that, idea? it's a great question because um, if you would have told me in my growing up years that I was going to live in Wyoming and help run a hydroponic farm uh, and hire people with disabilities, that wouldn't have all, you know, maybe registered. Um, it truly is a, a story of community and a story of um, three active and engaged citizens coming together for different needs. So I... Um, I, for the last two decades, have worked as an independent case manager and Medicaid waiver provider, uh, providing services for adults and children um, with disabilities. So that was kind of the context. That was the field I was in um, when I was living, when I've been living here in Jackson. Um, so at, at the same time, I'm I'm in this field. Um, Nona, the other co-founder, Nona Yahia, she was an architect. Um, also has a brother with a disability, and um, she intersected with another woman named Penny McBride, who was a sustainability consultant and had this idea of year-round growing um, because we live in Wyoming where our growing season is anywhere between, you know, three months and maybe four. Um, So it really was, uh, it was, you know, the three of us came together at the turn of the first recession, 2008. And um, the idea of food year round for our community, um, employing a marginalized population that has not had access really at all to employment um, and doing that year round, it it just synergized. And um, about eight years later in 2016, we were able to open our doors and um, start our business. Well, that's a long gestation period. So yes. (laughs) Let me ask, 
how did you get involved in the field, in the governmental side? What attracted you to work with people with disabilities originally? Well, Larry, I, you know, ever since I was a young girl, um, grew up in a family that, you know, my father was actually a Presbyterian minister and, you know, lots of just kind of service work. Um, my mother was a teacher and educator. And um, ever since I can remember, you know, I was just kind of tuned into, um, yeah, just, yeah, working, you know, volunteering at the homeless shelter, working in different schools. Um, I decided um, after high school to go to college and study psychology. I thought I was going to be an educator. And um, after a summer spent in Yellowstone National Park, originally I'm from the East Coast, I discovered Jackson. So long story short, I end up in Jackson right after college. Um, and uh, thinking I'm going to, you know, just be there temporarily and then move on to graduate school. And I uh, started working. I needed to get uh, some work. So I started working at a local school um, that had uh, it was a reg residential school as well. And there were um, young adults that had disabilities that attended the school. And so really and truly, you know, that was kind of my first full exposure. I'd done some educating um, and worked with different populations, but it was kind of one of those little, you know, it wasn't what I necessarily set out to do. Um, so that one summer in Jackson Hole, like I said, turned into a couple of decades. Um, and the, after the year at the school, I was, um, I, I really enjoyed what I was doing and somebody connected me with the Medicaid waiver program. So I, you know, I did not really intentionally set out to work for government, um, you know, or even actually in the field um, of working with people with disabilities. It was one of those just kind of synchronicities that linked up. Um, but it would prove to be, you know, I look at, I just kind of look at the sequence of where I started and then where Vertical Harvest landed and the work that I did through the state and as a provider and as a case manager and was able to see the lens from the individual's perspective, from the caregivers, from the communities, where there were barriers, where there were places of movement. Um, you know, I really do feel like that was all meant to be to set up for what we're now doing at Vertical Harvest, which is, you know, using using those kind of structures and entities and resources, but doing it um, in a in a very different, innovative, uh, forward thinking way. When you worked with this population, what gave you the belief that they could be good workers? Because you're working with people who are receiving benefits and are largely mm -hmm. not working. And what did you see in the people you were dealing with that gave you the idea that this is an untapped resource for employers? So as a case manager, Larry, because I started, um, you know, in 98, I'm actually still, I actually still have a few people I work with. I was able, a lot of the individuals I worked with, I, you know, when I started, they were in elementary school. Um, so I think a couple of things played into that. One, being a part of, you know, the growing up years, the schooling years, um, seeing where there were opportunities and then where there were barriers, as well as, um, you know, 
because I wasn't working for say an agency, for example, I was an independent contractor. I also had various opportunities of um, different families, you know, that I was working with and um, kind of even different mindsets, if that uh, makes sense. So, you know, I think some of it was just a natural, just because of the work I was doing um, and then also connected with the school system. And then also just that that dire need. I mean, I had lots of, I, I, I could tell you stories for days, but, you know, a young woman that I was case managing that was living independently and um, had tons of um, just amazing qualities and interests and um wanted to work. And the only opportunity we could find was um, working at McDonald's, you know, four hours a week, essentially, in the back of the kitchen. Now, again, nothing wrong with that. My first job was, I worked at a yogurt (laughs) shop, you know, I mean, we've all got to start somewhere. But again, it's that food, filth and flowers mentality, and not a real life scenario of a work opportunity, right? Um, How can you, how can you afford to live on five hours a week? So it was all, all of these things were kind of happening at the same time. I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm a part of, you know, people's lives as they're going, growing up and going through the school system. I had a lot of young adults at that time that were transitioning, you know, they were turning 22 in Wyoming, a lot of um, individuals with disabilities stay in the school system till 2021. 20, and one of my parents I worked with said it brilliantly when he said it, it's, you know, they do, we do such a great job with school um, for that, you know, those years. And then after you turn 21, it's like falling off the cliff and all that work and all that um, investment has just you know, there's no opportunity. So it was also, I, I'm a bit of a, um, not Pollyanna, but I just, you know, I, 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 I'm an optimist and, um, I do see potential everywhere because we're humans and we all have potential. So I think it was a little bit of all of those things. It was just the belief that this could work, not knowing exactly how it would work, especially with the farm hydroponic farming, but also um, those kind of years of experience of witnessing what was available for people uh, with disabilities and then what clearly was not um, and those discrepancies and the need to change that. So you came into this interaction with these, the two other co-founders mm-hmm. and you started to think about the limitations of growing in, in Wyoming and how did how did the three of you convince each other? I guess that's the first step. That not only would you innovate on the the way the business would operate, but that you'd go about figuring out how to have a workforce that substantially consists of people with disabilities. And you obviously took time and had to interact with other people in terms of funding this and supporting it, who probably said, why are you doing this? <laughs> you don't normally start a business this way. Maybe right. after you got successful, you can integrate a few people with disabilities because you're now profitable. You want to start this way. Oh, so exactly. Just take me into that, those conversations and those years of trying to get this thing put together in a way that it would work. 
Well, I think that's a great question. So first of all, we're in a hole in Wyoming. I like to say that Jackson hole, um, three women, you know, which is not maybe typical in Wyoming, um, three women that are not from Wyoming. So, I mean, really the cards should have been stacked against us from the get go. Um, and three women that didn't really know each other. I mean, um, I think Penny and Nona met at a bachelor rep party. I intersected with Penny just through some, it is a small town, but it, so I think that's just a neat part of it. It wasn't like three friends that got together and said, Hey, I've got a great idea. So there right. was this natural. And I, I say this because I think we could all reflect at times in our lives, you know, where you see how the pieces connect and then there's a bigger thing that happens later. Um, so you know, those years, and also we were all just to mention three working mothers at the time with other jobs, like full-time jobs. So it really truly was a labor of love. I think some of it was personality. Some of it was the uniqueness of Jackson. Um, Nona, our CEO and co-founder, um, she has a brother with developmental disabilities. And so she, you know, Penny had the, you know, kind of that food idea known as also a foodie and architect. So they came together when I got wind, you know, just kind of on the streets within just a few months of them meeting of this opportunity. I'm like, I've got, because again, at that point, a lot of my people I was working with in case managing were graduating. I'm like, I've got people that want to work. Had, I had no idea. I mean, my house plants are not thriving. I don't know anything about growing. I don't really, I know hydroponic must mean water, you know? Um, and so it is pretty amazing to look back on how this happened um, because it took years of kind of just getting, I mean, I think when we came together, we knew the workforce um, and because Nona's, you know, Nona was like, that sounds great. And the workforce obviously, um, would come way later when we opened the farm. So was there work to do from, you know, like let's say 2010 till 2016 on the workforce front? Yes, but because of my role in the community and as a case manager, I was very tapped in and tuned in to um, the various channels of workforce, whether it was, you know, a local agency, the Transition Academy, um, but really starting the farm with the employees was a critical choice point that Nona made. And, and I'm so grateful for that. So many people, you're right, Larry said, start the farm, then add the people. The fact that we started the farm with the people was what literally, in my opinion, created this wildly magical yet sustainable empowered workforce that then has now led to an actual model, the grow well model. Um, but I think if we would have started with even more structure or more, well, let's do this and then this, it wouldn't have organically flowed the way that it did from human to human and disability or no, or not, none of that mattered. You know, when we opened our doors in 2016, what mattered was we have a farm to run and we need to learn how to run a farm together. And how did you do that? How did, uh, did you uh, go on YouTube? Did you look at books? Or, there I really mean, wasn't YouTube. Backgrounds. Not at all. I mean, not at all. Um, so, and again, CEAs, um, we are vertical harvesting. I, I love this, that we are, you know, some of the leaders in the industry because the industry is so young still. 
So we started vertical farming um, when vertical farming really started. A uh, couple things that happened. There were a lot of things that obviously happened in our favor. And then there were challenge after challenge after challenge. We are very seasoned in challenges um, <laughs> and uh, have always tried everything, not intentionally the hard way, but almost like the passionate way at first. And then we learn from that. Um, the good news is, is after all these years, we, we've got a lot of knowledge under our belt and experience and we know what not to do and what to do. Um, but, you know, in the beginning, there were, um, there were resources, there, there were, um, you know, some people in the farming industry uh, that would talk to us. There were some that we were finding were very closed with information. Um, you know, and, and again, as I mentioned it, this idea, like the three women came together around 2008 and it wasn't for another, uh, eight years till the doors opened. So those were eight years of getting funding, um, figuring out where the greenhouse could be. Um, I was engaging workforce through the work I was doing, but still not even understanding, like what the, not even understanding how it's all going to work and be set up. Um, so we, you know, little things like two years before we opened our doors, we did some training sessions with some local potential workforce, um, you know, with, uh, growing tables. We, we just kind of learned as we went and because hydroponic farming and vertical farming was, um, new at the time of opening, we knew that we would need to hire either a really young grower because, you know, growing was taking off or maybe somebody that was retired. So not only did we have this like great inclusive workforce, we also had a very young team, um, which, you know, added in another layer and dynamic. And finally, in addition, um, all of our uh, technology and our carousels and our growing systems um, our Dutch design. So the Dutch have been hydroponic farming for centuries. And because this idea came about in the time of that recession, we were able to um, link up with one of the leading engineers in hydroponic uh, farming. So, I mean, there with every kind of, I don't want to say loss, but maybe with setback, there were, there were wins. Um, but learn by doing is a phrase I love. And looking back even via the documentary hearts of glass you can you can kind of watch our progression of learning and trying this and not trying that and some of what we did was intentional and other um actions that we took were maybe reactive or just instinctual um but what i can tell you now larry is that our plans are big um it's 20 we're going into 2023 we have recently broke ground um, on our second farm, which will be in Westbrook, Maine, which is right outside of Portland, Maine. This farm will be five times the size of the farm in Jackson, produce up to 2 million pounds of produce. We now have an employment model, the Grow Well model, that's inclusive and focuses on every employee from CEO to farm associate, their professional development, their personal skills, their communication. And we have a model for how we grow, literally the growing systems, the growing product mixes and our um, sales and distribution approach. So, you know, the little farm that could 
uh, <laughs> way back when can. Um, and, and we have big goals. We'd like to, we want to be a part of critical infrastructure. We see our farms as critical pieces of community. Um, and in the next five years, we'd love to, we're, we're aiming to have 15 farms um, scattered throughout the U.S. Take me through the Grow Well model. I mean, uh, when you did the initial training, you said uh, two years before you opened, you must have come in with certain assumptions about the workforce and mm -hmm. also certain assumptions about yourself as managers or executives and how you would interact and manage these people. And then what have you learned from those earlier experience that have informed creating a, an actual model of how to do this? That's a great question, um, Larry. So, you know, at that time, I had some years under my belt as a case manager and a provider. But again, those were still kind of unconventional in a sense, because it's not like I was working for an agency or necessarily in a school system, but I but I had a lot of exposure to kind of a, a structure maybe around teaching and working with people with disabilities in the school, but I wasn't fully engaged in that, if that makes sense, um, mm -hmm. which I think led room for just thinking outside of the box. And I, I, I'm a vision, you know, I'm definitely always kind of thinking maybe a little slightly different than what is typical of others. Um, so, you know, again, going back to the word community, when I think about those two years before opening our doors, you know, thank you to CES, which was the local agency that allowed us to use their first facility to do these trainings that we were, you know, we knew what we were doing, but, you know, here we are now teaching everybody about sustainability and what are food miles and where does our food come from and what is hydroponics. Um, and so that we definitely had space and opportunity to kind of see what, um, how do I say like traditionally and non-traditionally was being absorbed by all of us, right? Um, these weren't topics that maybe weren't typically discussed with myself and or other people with disabilities, growing, agriculture, food miles. Um, so I think that also helped set the tone of um, when we opened our doors, having structure. I knew enough of what we needed for people to feel supported, but I didn't know enough about how it was going to turn out because nobody had ever done this before with the hydroponic farm and the workforce. So within the first 17 months, um, you know, those first, that first year was just like, we've, I, my driver was, I've got to make this work for Sean and Johnny. This is my one shot to show the community that Micah can work and wants to work, you know, so that was probably that intrinsic driver for me um, while we're all running a farm together. Right. So for example, some of my employees that might've done much better with having, you know, the sequential schedule and what was on the task list today and all of that. Well, that took a couple of months to figure out because we didn't even know what we were, you know, growing necessarily. Um, so I do think a little bit of that disruption of how, um, I don't want to say organization, but, you know, looking back when we opened our doors, there were a lot of things from that kind of leadership level to even farm associate that were not fully figured out. Um, that could have been a, a deal breaker, but fortunately we were able to 
kind of come together, band together. And then within those 17 months, all of a sudden we're looking around and still figuring out how to grow uh, the plants, but all of a sudden the people are just shifting and changing and growing. And I will tell you, Larry, after um, having no knowing many of the employees very well, because I've known them from the community and being a provider, I did not expect that. I feel a little silly even saying that, but that was not, I mean, I knew people would be empowered, but not at the level of empowerment. And this wasn't just things like going to work and learning new skills. This was now calling another coworker on a Friday night to go to a movie or finally losing those 10 pounds um, you know, that somebody was carrying for the last 20 years because of things that we were learning at work through nutrition. So the grow well model, as I started to see that I was like, we're here to work. So there's the professional development, um, avenue of the grow well model. We are all humans by design. So let's look at the person, the self and on a side note, I love personal growth and development and I'm fascinated by that, you know, just through the lens of people. And then the third channel, so it's professional for the grow well model, personal. And then the third lens is community. Well, one, because we're in community, we are, you know, that infrastructure piece, but two, let's turn this model a little bit on its ear where instead of a community always giving, you know, to us and I'm, you know, to people with disabilities, let's give back to them. Let's show the community. Here we are a part of the fastest growing industry in agriculture with technology that nobody's seen before. And yes, I'm running that carousel or I'm packaging that lettuce. Um, and that then allowed us to want to engage in the community more. So not only are we a business that, you know, a farm, but we, I was then able to develop different programs under the lens of professional, personal, and community um, that would give opportunity to be in the community more, whether that was outreach that we did, tours, or you know, participating on our town's first kickball team, you know, in the summers and being the first inclusive kickball team. So some of it was passive advocacy with community, and some of it was intentional. Um, we found very quickly that more and more employees with or without disabilities started engaging in other civic organizations um, because of just that connector. Um, we also found um, just, just the ripple effect of community. And I like to talk a little bit about learned helplessness, which we all, I mean, put, tech, put a computer printer in front of me and I can't figure it out and I've got learned helplessness. Um, that's not maybe my strong <laughs> screaming that, at that, my that, husband. I, yes. Yes. So that I was did. another thing where, you know, I, I might be a little abrasive uh, at the farm in those first years, but because I knew we all had potential, you know, I, I would say there's no learned helplessness here. Like we're all here to work. We've, you know, we're going to have days where we're struggling, but it was very, maybe some things that traditionally wouldn't have been discussed were discussed. Um some topics about wellness or sexual health or relationships that maybe you wouldn't find in your workplace. I found a way to build those in through the grow well model. Um, so it was unconventional and then it became very conventional. And um, again, I've said it a few times, there are no coincidences. When I look back from 2016 to 2022, where we are now, the pandemic 
Um, and all just that whole, you know, timeline really not only exposed food deserts, uh, inequities, marginalized, I mean, everything really came to the forefront, right? In, in this country, I would say on both sides, as, as well as our little farm that could in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, during the pandemic kept going. We never shut down. So we were able to see like, wow, we, we really are making progress. We can keep going. And um, at that point too, right when COVID hit, we went to a skeleton crew, only eight people running the farm. Typically we have about 45 employees. And then the rest of us at the leadership team were, I wasn't allowed in the farm for a year. So that also then exposed, we can manage farms remotely right? And from afar. So, um, and then again, just, I could go on and on about all the community that was then opened up through, you know, Zoom, right? And not only in our little farm, but the impact we can have um, for other people, for other business types. Um, So, I mean, really, it was just kind of a layer after layer evolution of design, empowerment, learning moments. And now we are, um, you know, some of the leaders in the industry, which is amazing. Well, one of the uh, assumptions of inclusion at work is that the full engagement of people who don't have disabilities with people with disabilities uh, encourages and sparks creativity and innovation. And that sounds like what has been going on and will continue to go on because you're deeply engaged with each other. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as you said, you know, when uh, that young woman, I think, had the job at the McDonald's, I mean, she's working, but they're not really engaged with her mm-hmm. to, to help her grow or to move up in McDonald's. I mean, she's got a job, which is good, but it's not a real opportunity. And what you're describing really is a model for the entire business community and our society, because that's the level of engagement that needs to happen to unleash the talents of this entire community, which is really not what's happening right now. Um, so what, what were you learning about yourself and your co-founders as you were gaining, you were dealing with this population yeah. for many years, but in one way, now you were dealing with them in another way and mm-hmm. seeing kind of the growth that surprised you, you know, personal growth or uh, wanting to take on higher, higher responsibilities or be a manager of other people. I mean, things that you might not have anticipated. So what was that was going on from the three of you saying, oh, my God, what uh, have we done here? A hundred. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. You know, and again, this is what I love about this story. It's not just one person. It wasn't. It's, it literally is a community effort whichever, and then you can translate that to a state effort, to a regional effort, to a national effort, to a global effort. It's bigger than one person's idea. So a couple of things around that, Larry, Um, and I'm going to be very honest and transparent. I had more moments of wow. And then, wow, I, I really thought here, I thought I was like so progressive and so empowering and thinking ahead, but wow, I'm talking for Micah right now. I'm assuming Tim can't do that. So I really had to do a lot of self-reflection and 
kind of, um, wasn't guilt, but it was a little bit of both, you know, on one end we're doing all these amazing things, but on the other end, I'm like, how did it take so long for me to do this or see it this way? Or wow. When I thought this job over here at McDonald's was great, you know, I never even looked at it through this lens. So, um, you know, there was a lot of that, that I had to process, for example, even before the pandemic, um, grow, I mean, grow well. And just the inclusivity piece has become even more inclusive to the point where I hope one day there, the word inclusive doesn't exist, right? It just is what it is. It's a workforce. Um, but you know, for example, in the beginning, everybody, every employee engaged with parts of the grow well model, like the weekly boost or learning about wellness, but there were some things that were just specific for people that identified with disabilities. So I'm going to transparent lens here during pandemic. I'm like, wait a minute, that, that it's gotta be across the board. Right. Or another example is before the pandemic, we would interchange people with disabilities, different abilities during the pandemic. I'm like, why I need to be asking my employees that identify, why am I defining that with, you know, my other leader, this is not mine to define. So there, there have been my, I mean, we, we always were lifelong learners, right? That beginner's mindset um, and, and being able to be vulnerable and transparent and forgiving of what we didn't know, but always striving for that excellence of doing better. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, I, I've related in another uh, podcast, uh, Keith Jones, who's an African-American with cerebral palsy, and Keith is a, a hip-hop musician, was a member of the No Limits board, and we were having a board meeting, and uh, they were giving out plates of spaghetti, and Keith put his head right into the plate and sucked the spaghetti out, and I went, oh my God, what is he doing? <laughs> let me, let me cut his spaghetti. Yeah. And then I realized, well, Keith's very independent, and the that's how he does it. And it's yep. my problem. Why am I reacting like that? Because, well, my mother said, don't ever do that. You know, So uh, you, you learn by these encounters, if you're open to learning, and it, then it creates stronger bonds and a greater mm-hmm. understanding of what this group of people feel and think, and that their potential is not limited by my assumptions or your assumptions, mm-hmm. but what together you're discovering Mm-hmm. And I think this engagement does fit into all of these uh, newer business notions about mm-hmm. transparency and reflection. And it actually creates the opportunities to do that as you engage yourself and saying, why did I think that? Oh, I see. They, they're they not just talking about a ramp. They're talking about our building being like totally open. And you know, how do we do that? I mean, let's right. figure out. That'd be a lot of fun to have a, an office space where everybody can just sort of come in and out without obstacles that I wasn't even aware of, but now I am aware of, so let's do it. You know, this is what makes it a a challenging thing. So let me ask you, you're going out to Maine, and I think you had mentioned Chicago is another potential area you'd be moving into. How are you uh, telling this story in other localities? How are they reacting to it? And, uh, you know, each state, each city area is a little different with its own history. Right. And laws and barriers. Right. It's a whole different different can of worms, but then there's also a lot of similarities. So a few things from the moment we opened our doors, because the other pieces, I think I I mentioned that we were the public 
uh, private partnership. We're on town land. So part of the deal with the town was um, you need to get public tours and we had a little retail space. And I only mention this because most greenhouses and or farms would not be open to the public, right? Just that's more pest management and those types of things. But that then also provided opportunity and Jackson Hole is a tourist um, haven for not only our skiing, but being a gateway to Yellowstone National Park. So you have literally the whole globe coming through at different times, potentially to this town. Um, so because of our little storefront, because of this giant glass three-story building, you know, and a little mountain town that doesn't have any high rises, um, people, people noticed and people wanted to come in and people wanted to understand, um, what we were doing. So from the minute we opened our doors, um, we had inquiries about, um, replication. Now, meanwhile, we're flying, the, we're, we're, we're just trying to get product out the door. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, a better iPad system. Um, so we couldn't even, um, really even consider it, but, but everybody that would come see it, you know, oh, this is amazing. Whether they were connected because they maybe had a child with a disability or they were connected because of the food movement, you know, the food movement was also ramping up and the exposure to food deserts or local food, local farming. So we had both of those things happening at once. Um, and, um, you know, it is, it, we always knew we wanted to replicate. And then within that first two years and when things, you know, I told you the people are growing, grow well, starts to form our growing teams coming together. Things are really starting to mobilize. Um, and then it was just another series of events. So Chicago, um, that opportunity came through a Fannie Mae, um, grant uh Fannie Mae feasibility study that we were awarded and able to use that to dive into partnering with a local uh housing um subsidized housing complex in a food desert and so what would that model look like right with then pairing housing with the farm that as that's going on over here there was a developer in outside of Portland Maine in Westbrook where we have broken ground that had heard about us. So he, you know, was really um, trying to court us and, and see about replication. Um, and so Maine, as the, as these things are happening and we're learning more and then the world is changing and shifting and the way people are investing, social impact investing, um, we got very clear on our strategy. And that is this, we are part of a community. We are part of critical infrastructure. We are differentiators in the indoor farming world because we use humans. It's not all AI and technology like most of the farms. We bring the human and the technology together, right? And the population of people that identify with disabilities is what we're targeting first. It's the largest marginalized population, as you know, one you could join at any time. And in order for this to be successful, we need to have engaged municipalities. So now we have our strategies. We, we need to engage with the municipalities, um, working with them. And then because of the model in Jackson, I now have my workforce stakeholders. So, you know, I engaged Maine two years ago, those workforce stakeholder partnerships. We now have our sales omni-channel approach. So we started engaging that and 
Maine two years ago. So, you know, watching again, this, this little farm in, in Jackson learning and growing, and now we have a template um, that I will say within by farm number three, the hope and the goal is that this is a plug and play model that can literally go into communities all over the U.S. And because we've figured out enough for it to be sustainable business-wide and sustainable on the human side, I truly believe, Larry, this is a model that can then change community and kind of be a ripple effect. And the biggest piece is be sustainable. Um, so, you know, that, that was my goal, sustainable for the people and sustainable for the community. Let me just ask you, if somebody was coming in on a tour, what would they see? Well, if you go to our website, you can get a little, a little glimpse of a tour. I think we just put a virtual tour on there, but in Jackson, it's going to look very different. Um, than Maine. And that's one because, you know, we like to say Jackson's kind of the iPhone one and Maine is whatever iPhone we're on now, just all the advancement <laughs> in technology, um, right. as well as all the, all the mistakes I was sharing earlier, we now know what we didn't know. So we, you know, not only have we been able to design our own mini farms, but we know the best kind of interface of from the crop mix to the, the person intersection. Um, if you were to go into the farm in Jackson, Larry, you would, um, are, we're on a 10th of an acre. It's a very you know skinny piece. It, it meets right up next to the one parking garage in Jackson, three stories, um, glass on the outside. So there's transparency all around. Um, and at night, there's some really fun pink lights. Uh, we do have shades that go down because there's a hotel across the street, but we do use outdoor sunlight, but then we also um, use indoor lighting to help us grow as well. And then we have seven carousels. And again, I mentioned about the engineer, Thomas Larson, in the beginning, the Dutch um, created these carousels. They designed them in a way that were intentional for people with disabilities where the plant comes to the person. So, um, which is pretty, pretty incredible. Um, but we're even designing something even more, um, just even, even better with the next farm in Maine. So, um, the other kind of neat little silver lining in this story is that Jackson now, which will always be the first farm, um, it is now going to become more of this research and design, um, opportunity, not only through in what we're growing, um, because, you know, we, we can grow vining crops, we can grow lettuces, specialty greens, but also in our employment model and what we can test out. And then I see this grow well Institute. So a train the trainer. So all my employees in Jackson, as we mobilize these farms, there will be even more opportunity for upward mobility. You might start as a farmer and end up as a lead trainer that travels, you know, throughout the East Coast, helping um, onboard new employees at farms, right? Um, I mean, it, it, there's so much potential uh, for this then to weave into other businesses and industries that kind of relate back to food. Well, it's a fabulous story. And uh, what you're doing is just great. Uh, <laughs> I just think, uh, you know, I can hear the energy in your voice and the enthusiasm that you have for it. And I, 
I know it's going to be really successful wherever you go. And beside its success as a business, I think it's all these other dimensions that you're opening up and, and it'll stand for other companies to really look at it and see how much they can adapt so that they can engage this workforce for whatever they're trying to do. And uh, I thank you and everybody in your community and all the people that are working there for all your efforts as trailblazers uh, for this community and the opportunities you're giving the people in Jackson Hole, but also around the country. Thanks a lot. Well, Larry, thank you. And I'm just so grateful that I we connected with you and that you are out here telling these stories. I think that's so important. Um, it does take a village. And um, again, like I said, if you would have told me in high school, this is where I, ge geographically where I would end up and what I'd be doing, I might not have, uh, I wouldn't have thought of that. Um, but it, it I, I just am very, very grateful to be a part of Vertical Harvest. And again, it's, it's a model that becomes literally a movement and um, we're, we're one of the vehicles for it. So it's good right. stuff. Thank you for having yeah. me today. Oh, thanks. Thanks for coming and explaining everything to a non-farmer like myself. <laughs> it's a complicated story. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's great. So yeah, uh, I, 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 we're, we're done. So Okay. Uh, so I just 